Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, October 21st. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, we asked the mayor for her thoughts on the renewed discussion surrounding the Event Centre project, a project which has been tossed around now for seven years. Next, we head across the border for the latest news stateside with Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Jackson brings us details on this week's ruling by a federal judge alleging former President Donald Trump lied under oath about voter fraud in the 2020 election. Halloween is coming a week early for a special group of Calgary kids. We learn about a unique event which gives children with disabilities a chance to get out and trick or treat. And finally, we cap off Small Business Week by shining the spotlight on Calgary-based shoe retailer Shoe Muse. We speak with shop owner Danny Izzo on the challenges and opportunities small businesses face post-pandemic. The never-ending event center saga entered a new chapter this week. Joining us to discuss that and all the issues facing Calgarians today is Mayor Jyoti Gandek. Good morning to you, Mayor. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. I, I'm not sure. Like, Sue and I talked off mic over the past several days that we were kind of fatigued when it comes to talking about the event center. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're in the same category, but are you optimistic progress could be made this go-round and in, in what will be different? I'm very optimistic, and I know that council is optimistic as well. And I think um, one of the, the biggest things that we've got going for us is that uh, both parties are interested in looking at what the future holds for us. Uh, we've got CAA ICON working with the city to ensure that we are moving forward in the best way possible. They've got a lot of experience in other places uh, like Sacramento. So they've they've done this before, and working with us, I think, all parties will come to a mutually agreeable decision and, and we will have some good news into the future. You know, I agree. Most business decisions aren't made in the public eye. So to keep things, you know, a little bit under wrap, I think is just is classy for sure. And it's necessary to a degree, but there has to be transparency as well, because this is something that we as Calgarians are going to be pay for, paying for. You know, how important is it that we get some information as this process now moves forward yet again? Yeah, absolutely. As we can share information, we definitely will. Um, I would say the most interesting thing about the announcement after Wednesday's event center committee meeting was that media actually did not expect us to announce anything. They were all centered over at um, what was going on with the economic outlook for Calgary Economic Development at uh, Tel's Convention Center and literally ran over to City Hall to see what the news was. So we have been very good about maintaining confidentiality, but at the same time, transparency prevails when we can make announcements like who our third-party advisor is and the fact that we were going to carry on with discussions. Mayor, we'd like to think we were the first to congratulate you on one year in office last Friday because it happened on Tuesday of this week, uh, but we looked back on the past year. Let's look ahead to the next 12 months. What do you hope to accomplish? Well, I got to say, the day after one year was over, um, we made four pretty big announcements. We talked about the event center discussions carrying on. We announced a new basketball team in our city, the Calgary Surge. Mm -hmm. We uh, announced putting a lid on Shoaldice to have a year-round facility, and we um, opened up a new part of Airport Trail. So day one into year two was pretty good. Um, We've got a four-year budgeting process coming up where... Once again, to Sue's point, we are exercising as much transparency as we can for the public. Just last week, actually it was just this week, uh, it was revealed what the assessed value of properties is, which gives us an indication of potential revenues so that we are only spending according to what we are earning. So there's a lot of big stuff coming up, but it seems optimistic. And that was the mood yesterday at the Real Estate Forum. 
it was the mood at uh, the Calgary Economic Development event on Wednesday. I think Calgarians are, are rallying behind our city again. Yeah, it, it does feel optimistic, and it's uh, we, we've missed it for sure. Um, it is Small Business Week, Mayor. What do you think the state of small business is in the city of Calgary? Do you think small businesses are, are faring well or still really kind of struggling coming out of the pandemic? I think small businesses have weathered so much over the last few years with the recession compounded by the pandemic. So many of them had to close their doors. It is incredible to see some of them come back, either in their original form or in some sort of transformative way. It is, um, it's sad for the city that, that some people did have to um, go into other avenues, but for the ones that were able to stay open and persevere, we are looking forward to celebrating with them tonight. These are truly amazing, amazing people who have gone through so much and still believe that they have a future in our city. And I'm very proud to um, be a part of their success. All right, just before we let you go, uh, Madam Mayor, I want to ask you this because this came down and something we've talked about is quite controversial, but we need your opinion. The Food Network has put a question out online. (laughs) Uh, When it comes to chicken wing night, do you prefer the flat or the drumstick? And why is one better than the other, Mayor? That's a pretty heated question. Really, that is. Um, it's controversial. I think it's We're not even getting into the sauce, but go yeah. ahead. No, and um, I think it's important to practice equity when you are enjoying your chicken wings. Um, the drumsticks sometimes have the the meatiest parts, but mm-hmm. picking up those flat ones is just it's easier to chow down on them. So I would say it's it's a pretty even split. And just uh, one further question to that. We talked about it with Shea Ganim a few minutes ago. If your husband or your child had sort of picked at a wing or any other type of food, but really left, frankly, a lot of meat on the bone, would you eat the rest of it or would you throw it in the garbage? If it's my family, I'm eating it. Okay, good. That's the right answer, I feel like. You are correct. Yeah. You have nailed every question We've we've asked you this morning. Oh, thank goodness. The bonus round is next Friday. You can feel free to call a a friend before that, but we will talk to you then. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. Thanks. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. Appreciate it. Jody Gondek is the Calgary mayor. Just goes to show we don't know what planet Shea Ganim comes from. A weird one. I feel yeah. really weird. If, if it's within the family, you got to finish that rib of or that you wing. Do. Why would you waste you, you it? Waste it. not, want not. Isn't that what your mother always said? That's absolutely. You I don't know, even know what you know that my means. Mom. But... And you went one step further. You said even with corn on the cob, you would. Well, you weren't supposed to tell the listeners that. That sounds gross. But yeah, I would. Well, because my kids eat four kernels off the cob. And I'm not throwing that in the garbage. Everything's on the table on this program, Sue. So. <laughs> Fair. Over eight hours of audio between former President Donald Trump and journalists Bob Woodward and Bob Costa set to be released next week. Will this be the smoking gun that finally sinks Donald Trump? Joining us to talk about it, Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Good morning and happy Friday, Jackson. Good morning, happy Friday. Do we have any idea about the impact these so-called Trump tapes might have on the former president? You know, I think more than anything, they're just sort of insight into what Trump was doing and thinking when it came to things like his relationship with Kim Jong-un or with Vladimir Putin. There's about eight hours of tape apparently interspersed with commentary from the journalist Bob Woodward. And the 20 or so interviews that were conducted in the four-year span from 2016 to 2020, um, you know, contain some really sort of interesting insights. Uh, Trump, for example, talking about, uh, you know, crossing the the, the line at the, the, the uh, DMZ into North Korea, for example. Uh, talking about the letters that he got from Kim Jong-un and apparently saying to Bob Woodward, uh, don't say I gave them to you. I think those letters are part of the investigation into the Mar-a-Lago documents. Really, I think, again, more insight into what Trump was thinking than anything. 
All right, uh, still on uh, former President Trump, he submitted a sworn deposition this week regarding a sexual assault accusation from the 1990s. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is one of those cases that's um, ongoing uh, with uh, uh, Carol Jean and uh, uh, Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, I think it just sort of, at the end of the day, hard to know where all these things are going. They sort of add to the... I think, pile of trouble that Trump is potentially facing in the courts, right? There are uh, more than a dozen separate uh, cases underway right now involving all sort of things. Uh, and, you know, the, the defamation suit from E. Carol Jean is really just adding uh, to that. Of course, we know that Trump has faced credible accusations from a number of women uh, over the years. Uh, e. Carol Jean's primary accusation is that Trump raped her in the dressing room of a department store and then lying about it. And, uh, of course, it's sort of a question as to where this all goes next. Jackson, uh, you were just in Georgia covering early voting and the midterms. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, this was fascinating. Uh, early voting started on Monday in Georgia, and they set records for turnout for the few days that we were there. Huge numbers. Uh, in some places, the lineups to vote in early voting were more than three hours long. A couple things really driving people to the polls there. First and foremost, you've got that hot Senate race between Herschel Walker and Reverend Raphael Warnock, the incumbent. Uh, it is going to be a nail-biter. It is likely the Senate seat that will decide which party back in Washington has control of the Senate. So huge interest in that. But the other thing, of course, is that this is the first full-fledged election to take place under Georgia's restrictive new voting laws. And those laws reduce the number of polling stations, reduce the hours and availability of mail-in drop boxes, and generally made it harder for people to vote. And so you saw both Republicans and Democrats coming out early to make sure they could vote and that there were no hiccups with casting their ballots. Uh, all this is to say, keep a close eye on Georgia, not just on November 8th, but if that Senate race remains as close as it looks right now, it's likely headed to a runoff in December, which means we will be talking about Georgia for quite some time to come. All right. Uh, going outside the borders, uh, let's talk about uh, President Biden this week, uh, stating that Vladimir Putin in, the, uh, in Russia has put himself in an incredibly difficult position when it comes to the civilian attacks in Ukraine. Uh, besides the words that we're hearing, any other actions being taken and uh, support from the U.S.? You know, I think one thing to keep an eye on here in the run-up to midterms is potentially a massive aid package from the U.S. The reason for that is that Republicans are increasingly signaling that if they take power after the midterms, they will actually try and block further aid to Ukraine. And so the Biden administration wants to rush as much through now as possible to make sure that aid and support gets there. Of course, uh, there are lots of things in play, including potentially Biden and Putin at least crossing paths at the G20 summit in Indonesia next month. Uh, so as they say, stay tuned. Let's talk a little bit about uh, former Trump White House strategist Steve Bannon. He's scheduled to be sentenced today, uh, convicted of contempt of Congress. Where are we with the January 6th hearings, etc.? Yeah, in fact, that sentencing hearing is underway at this hour right now, so we should know Bannon's potential sentence up to a year in prison uh, within the next few minutes. The J6 hearings have now formally wrapped up, of course. The last hearing was last week, but we are still waiting on a written report from the committee. Uh, there is, of course, uh, the, the vote to uh, subpoena former President Trump for testimony and evidence. Uh, the question is, of course, whether uh, you know they will formally issue that subpoena now uh, today, potentially as early as today, uh, to compel him to testify because 
because, of course, Trump has sort of waffled as to whether he will or won't do it. And I think the other thing to watch are all the trials that are taking place in the background. Today is day 13 of the seditious conspiracy trial involving the Oath Keepers, one of those far-right militias that was involved in that day. So plenty of pieces still moving. And remember that just because midterms are looking doesn't mean that the judicial process is under any sort of timeline. That can continue past the midterms. It's the political work of the J6 committee that really has to wrap up by the end of the year. All right. Uh, focusing on the economy and earlier this week, uh, the president announcing a buyback program for American energy in the form of buying back barrels of oil. W- what would this do and the significance of it there, uh, Jackson? Yeah, a couple of things are happening here. Uh, of course, uh, oil or gas prices, I should say, are creeping back up again. And of course, it's a politically sensitive time with midterms lurking. President Biden had already committed to releasing hundreds of millions of barrels from the U.S. Strategic Reserve to try and lower the price of gas at the pumps. They are ex- expediting the release of that oil now to try and really make sure that American consumers aren't hit as inflation continues to soar. And then at the same time, they're committing to buy back oil to replenish the reserves once oil prices come down to a specific threshold because the reserves are at uh, one of their lowest points in decades. So they really want to make sure that that strategic asset is back in place uh, should it be needed for any sort of uh, emergency situation. We thank you for your time this morning, Jackson. Have a great weekend. You as well. Appreciate it. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. Sue and myself have deemed next week Halloween. Mm-hmm. We've decided we're going to really focus on Halloween next week and, and kind of leave it this week. Unless, of course, there's a very special event happening to celebrate Halloween in a special way this weekend. This is a chance to give children with disabilities an inclusive trick-or-treating experience ahead of the hustle and bustle that happens on the 31st. So joining us this morning is Rich Padulo of Treat Accessibly to give us details on the event. Good morning to you, Rich. Happy Halloween, Sue and Andy. Thanks for starting early. Yeah, we're going to start early because yes. uh, we are looking at Sunday on the calendar. This is going to be a big deal. Tell us what's going on. Well, thanks so much. Uh, the Treat Accessibly Halloween Village, uh, we're closing down a street uh, in in Calgary and San Albert at the exact same time from 1.30 to 6.30 p.m. And by closing down the street, we're also, all the homeowners in the street are making uh, accessible Halloween treat stations at the end of their driveway. Uh, Canadian Tire has given us a ton of candy, uh, as has Kinder, and uh, the homeowners decorate their houses, and we hand out treats in an accessible fashion uh, to all the kids. Uh, we have uh, close to a thousand people registered already in both cities, and um, uh, the whole goal is that children with and without disabilities, parents with and without disabilities, come down and treat together and uh, support the movement. Because on Halloween night, we actually want more homes to be accessible at Halloween and treat from the end of their driveway. And the best way to do that is to show, not tell people. So that's why the events exist. Uh, this will be, those will be our sixth and seventh event that we've done across the country. We started in Ottawa and Halifax at the beginning of the month. We did Toronto and Hamilton uh, last week. The mayor of Toronto actually came to the event and uh, I flew into um, uh, Vancouver last night because we're doing the event in Surrey on Saturday. And then after the event on Saturday, I fly to Calgary uh, to host the event there. And we have a whole team in St. Albert who are doing the same. Good for you. I love this idea because, I, I mean, I just I didn't think of it before, right? What is Halloween right. but a ton of people out and about running around 
running up steps to get to the front door. For anyone with a disability, any of these kids, it would be almost impossible. So it's really brilliant to kind of bring this to the forefront so that people can envision that, you know, that's an issue for a lot of kids out there. Thank you so much. It was actually our daughter's idea. Uh, In 2017, we were putting pumpkins on our stairs. We looked up and there was a family going to the local park and one of the little boys was using a wheelchair and my daughter and I looked at each other and we just said that he can't treat at our home. Mm -hmm. And uh, that night we created uh, the first Treat Accessibly lawn sign uh, and we did it because we actually didn't know the family but we'd seen them going by to the park every once in a while. So we thought if we put the lawn sign at the end of the driveway that says accessible trick-or-treating, he'll know Mm -hmm. that he's welcome at our home and his parents will see it either driving by or going to the park during the week. And and that's what happened. And that's that night on Halloween 2017, we actually had seven families uh, come with children with various Mm -hmm. disabilities. So from mobility to sensory, to intellectual disabilities, and just by bringing your treat station to the end of your driveway or treating out of your garage, you alleviate about 90% of the barriers that children with these types of disabilities face. And from an intellectual disability, it could be uh, they're on the spectrum. From a sensory disability, it could be vision impairment and mobility. Uh, The child doesn't need to have a visible disability like uh, being in a wheelchair or using a wheelchair. The the child may have um, Mm -hmm. difficulty walking up and down steps. And if you could imagine, if you have difficulty going up one step, how many steps there are at Halloween? Perfect. We're going to have to leave it there for time, Rich, but thank you so so much and uh, keep doing what you do. We appreciate Thank you. It. Thank you for sharing the message. Happy Halloween, everybody. Me too. Rich Padulo, founder of Treat Accessibility, Accessibly, and it's treataccessibly.com for complete details and the address. Of course, it's Sunday from 1.30 to 6.30. If the pandemic wasn't hard enough on Calgary's business community, now soaring inflation, adding an extra challenge for businesses and business owners. Joining us to talk about how they are and have been navigating economic uncertainty on this Small Business Week, we're joined this morning by Danny Izzo, owner-buyer at Shoe Muse. Good morning to you, Danny. Thanks for being with us. Hello, good morning. Okay, let's talk about so uh, some challenges, obviously, through the past couple of years. For you and your business as a small business owner, what's it been like sort of coming out of the end of the pandemic, seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, and now we're into, you know, high inflation and, and people seeing, you know, kind of holding back on spending their money? Yes, absolutely. And I find that, you know, it's it's not that, you know, we're not bringing the best product to our customers Actually, the biggest challenge right now is shipping and production. You know, this is something that a lot of people are looking at um, when it comes to, you know, like if I'm doing an order six months ahead for my next season and I'm getting maybe, oh, 75% of what I was expecting, this is the biggest challenge that we're facing right now as retailers. Those are the challenges, Danny. I'm wondering if you can give us a nugget, something that uh, happened during the pandemic that is a carryover. Okay, well, yeah, um, I would say that um, bringing in the, the customers wasn't really the issue. It was, it was the product, but also finding the right product in this type of, you know, uh, global situation that we're in, right? Um, I think that one of my biggest challenges um, was also getting together an online platform for people to come, which we did not have before, because usually the small businesses were more on, like, we're usually working like hands-on with our customers. So to bring something like that out was a blessing in disguise. But I would have to say that that was one of my, another one of my biggest challenges was getting an on, online platform, 
onto the stores and bringing the customers uh, that window of, you know, of product that they wanted to see when they couldn't mm-hmm. come in. How do you adjust in terms of staff, you know, hiring, keeping? It's tough these days. We hear it from so many business owners. How do you do that? How do you make sure that the people who are with you are the best you can get? Well, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I actually was, I'm very blessed that I still have most of my original staff at my stores. Um, they've been working for me for over 20 years, some of them. And um, yeah, it was an actual, it was a huge challenge to just get them to come back into the workforce, work the full-time hours, because there was always going to be a little bit of government assistance there. It was hard to get them back into full-time positions. Danny, I'm wondering, this is something that you do and you love, and sure, we can shop online, we can look at pictures, but there's something about shopping that is more of an event, and it's something that we enjoy doing. Is that what you love about being, well, back to normal, as normal as we are right now? Oh, my goodness. You know what? I think like all business owners, my passion drives me, you know, as as far as I can go for my customer. Like, I think it's so important that when you're in there with them and they're coming in to see you, it's it's our expertise and our curated, you know, collections that we are putting together for them that they always come back for, especially now because they're also looking for good price points, which I find that a lot of people are going back into the workforce they want to come and see us. They want to, to sit down and have that personalized service that everybody craves, I think. you know. And I don't think that's something that's ever really going to go away. You know, to have somebody fit you for a shoe properly, there's nothing mm-hmm. like it. You have <laughs> unique, fun, fabulous shoes in your store. Highly recommend everybody goes online and has a look at shoemuse.com. Thank you so much for joining us and talking about Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Danny. Have a great weekend. You bet, you too. Danny Izzo, owner-buyer at Shoe Muse.